Hi, I'm Kim Payne, and you're listening to the Courageous Me podcast, which is all about inspiring you through incredible stories and sharing some really cool ways to add more courage into your life. Welcome to another episode of Courageous Me. And today we have got the National Sales Manager of Watershed. But can I just say, this is one woman who is so much more than any job title. And by the way, Chantel, who's my guest, uh, did you just hear what that title is? National Sales Manager of Watershed. Now, you'll understand why I've just said that to her. But before we get to know a bit more about who she is, I just want you to share with everyone what excites you about having a conversation with me about courage. Firstly, I want to say, I just want to thank you for creating this platform and this safe space for the listeners and for the speakers. I think with Courage, it's you've created this space that allows um, us to be vulnerable, be our authentic selves um, and really embrace our imperfections. Uh, so Courage to me is sharing stories of, you know, when it was hard and we had fear and and when we get through the other side of fear and that's doing things that we, we are uncomfortable with doing. Um, that's when the magic happens, what has in my life. And, you know, I do know you quite well. And I swear, if that's courage and that's what excites you, I know the reason why is because that has been probably a mantra for your entire life is the fear is there, but still working your way through it. So can you just give us a little bit of a background? So you're the National Sales Manager of Watershed and I'm going to pump your tyres up because you're probably not going to do it. You also won BDM of the Year at one of the awards ceremonies earlier on, right? Now, that to some people who have spent a whole lifetime in an industry like financial services and worked their way up, that's kind of something that's like the nice cherry on top. But for you from where you've come from and you've made all the changes and done all the hard work, this is just friggin' amazeballs. So could you just give us a bit of background as to Where did you come from? What was your background and the foundation that have set you on this incredible journey of courage? Okay, well, um, I'm one of four children, grew up in Frankston in the 80s and 90s, came from a pretty poor family, so we we were brought up in Housing Commission, which was my normal, so that was okay. Uh, My mum was a single parent, there was four of us. My mum has been married three times. And my dad has been married, no, my mum's been married four times, my dad's been married three times. I can't even keep up with them. And in the midst of that, my dad actually married one of my mum's ex-sister-in-laws. So it was really sticky and messy. So yeah, grew up in Frankston. It was quite rough now that I think of it. You know, there'd be times mum would have to get food vouchers to feed us, you know, the electricity would be cut off. But again, that was sort of my normal um, upbringing, so I didn't really think too much about it. When I was probably 15, my mum decided that she wanted to move into state, and we'd already done that once before. Um, so I left school when I was probably 14 and a half because we moved around a lot, and it was just, I didn't really enjoy school. Started working full time. And then mum said, yeah, when I was nearly 16, that's it, we're moving to Queensland. When it would get hard, my mum would just pick up everything and go. And I was at a point in my life, Kim, where I went, I don't want to do this. And I was tired of starting new and building relationships. So I actually um, left my mum at 16 and packed my bag with not, not, not too much in it and went and stayed at my girlfriend's house. And look, I did that for probably 
six months just staying with friends as long as I could and getting by. I was working in a restaurant at the time. So then probably when I was 17, I moved in with two other girls and it was a pretty crazy time in my life. Wow. So just rewind for a second there. Mm-hmm. Why, what did you not like about school that you wanted to leave at 14 and a half? Because that's young. It is Why young. did you like it? Yeah. Because my mum never really pushed me to go to school. So I could okay. go to school or I, I, I didn't have to go to school. So I had a lot of time off. And when you have a lot of time off, we all know you fall behind and you're not, you don't feel included. You're not a part of that school community. Plus, I went to a school where back in the 80s, not many people were, were divorced. Not many of my friends' parents were divorced. So I was almost like outcast a lot because it was like, well, your mum, your mum's divorced. You can't come to this party. So I never really felt included in school. So therefore... I moved schools a couple of times too and I just felt like, you know what, I want to work and I, I want to earn money because we didn't have money. I thought that that's what I want to do. Wow. And so when at 16 your mum's moving into state and you're like, yeah, no, I'm not moving, mm. did she still move? Did she still go? She did. Yeah, she did. She left and um, and she knew I was – she tried to ask me to come back and tried mm. to, to get me to come back and, and I think I was just done. Something snapped in my head and I thought – I'm not doing this anymore. So, yeah, it was it was probably, I think I heard her a lot by doing that, but I just, I couldn't go on anymore with that pattern of picking up and just going when things got tough. Mm. And you said you're one of four. Did your other siblings go with her or did they stay too? No, they, they were older than me. Um, and unfortunately, they, they were probably, they went down the path of drugs. So I think because of where we lived, it was almost like living in the ghetto. There was lots of drugs around and and people that could, you know, could easily slip into that cycle. I always caught up with my brothers and sisters, but it was always quite a shady interaction. Uh, okay, but so why didn't you go down that path? What stopped you? Well, I think or did you I, go down that path? Yeah, well, when I was 17, I was going out a lot to the clubs underage because all my girlfriends were like 19. Um, and there was a time in my life where I started probably to dabble in drugs and I just didn't like the way it made me feel. And I went out one night and I just thought, okay, I'm at a crossroads. I, I'm either going to end up like my siblings, you know, go down that path or I just need it to take this by the reins and, and go the other way. My mum and I had been talking on the phone. We reconnected. She'd been married again. This was her fourth husband. And she she was living in a place and he had money and she goes, look, just come back. I was sort of, I turned 18 and I thought, I, I can't keep going on like this. And I was tired because I was working a lot to pay the rent, put food in my mouth. Plus I was partying a lot. So I felt like I was burning out. So yeah, I, I did go back and live with her. And how did that turn out? How, how was the relationship with her at that point? Oh, I think it got a lot better because she knew there was boundaries. and she How gave- did you know? Because I don't think she, she, she didn't want me to, to, to cut her off like that again so she would listen more. My mum was very authoritarian. It was like my way or there's a door. Um, so I think she, she sort of changed her mindset too and then I just thought I need to get a proper job. And I'd go for job interviews and they'd be like, can you type? I'd be like, no. Can you use a computer? No. So then I thought, okay, I got this touch typing program. And I got it from the library and I taught myself how to touch type. <laughs> which is quite nerdy. So I'm 18, all my friends are out discoing and here I am on a Friday, Saturday night trying to teach myself to touch type because I thought I need a proper job. I want to work Monday to Friday. I don't want to work in a restaurant anymore because that's when bad behaviour happens and you're going out drinking and 
So I learned to touch type and, and I ended up getting a great job. So where do you think this has come from? So you've grown up in an area with no money in a housing commission home. And again, nothing wrong with that, but not where a lot of people are going out there and making a life for themselves. You've got family that are sort of here, there and everywhere and whatever. How did, how come you decided that, no, you wanted a different life, that you wanted to earn money, that you wanted to get a job that was nine to five? Where do you reckon that's come from? I had a cousin that was really a great role model in my life. She's actually my dad's first cousin. So she's my, I think, second cousin. And she's maybe seven or eight years older than me. But she always um, was a great person, always did the right thing. And she saw something in me that probably I didn't. And she was always like, Chantal, you can do this. Have you tried this? And she was all my, always my voice of reason. Um, and I think I did connect with some people that were really great in my life. And I thought, I-, I want this life. I definitely don't want to go down the path and have history or repeat. So I knew there was goodness out there. But I'm like, okay, what can I do? to be on that path of goodness. And it's really up to me. Like every decision I make, it's going to be up to me. No one's going to give it to me on a plate. Oh, what a beautiful attitude. And what a beautiful attitude when that's not necessarily something you grew up around, but you got to observe through someone that was in your sphere still. So so tell me, who else has had that same belief in you from when you were younger that really has allowed you to step up and do the sort of things that you've done in your life? Who else has had that sort of belief? I've been lucky. There's been in different parts of my life, there's been different people and I think I've been gifted with that. I ended up getting a job at Philip Morris just temping and I was lucky enough to meet this gorgeous woman. She was from the UK on a working holiday and she had some sort of belief in me and was always encouraging me and my contract was up at Philip Morris and she said an internal job came in. She goes, oh, you've got to go for this job. And it, it was for a sales rep position. You needed a uni degree. And I said, I can't go for that job. I don't have a uni degree. She goes, no, go for it. She goes, look, let's do some work together and we'll have mock interviews together and we're going to get you that job. And I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to give it a crack. I've got nothing to, to lose. So, yeah, we did that for about two weeks. Um, she helped me with my resume. I was lucky enough to get a an interview and with that job too, one of the, the gentlemen that was interviewing me had a really thick Scottish accent and I couldn't understand him. And he asked me a question and I said, look, I'm really sorry, I can't understand you. And I think, Kim, I asked him this question four or five times to the point I was I was hot, I was sweating. And he had a giggle and he said, you know what, I like it because no one can understand me, but you're the only one that's actually asked me again and asked me to repeat the question. So this was, um, you know, I had a second interview and that's when he told me that. And he said, look, I'm willing to give you the job because I can see that you know, you've got grit, you've got something about you. It's about having the right behaviours. We'll teach you everything. So I got that job and that was like life-changing for me because I was 18, I was driving a brand new car. You know, I was making, I think, $45,000, which back then was big bucks. And my family just couldn't believe it. Um, so I think after I got that job, that's when everything unfolded for me. Mm. And how did you feel inside about that, knowing where you've come from? And you've got this job against the odds because you didn't have the uni degree or anything like that. How did you feel? Oh, I felt so grateful. But I feel like even to this day, I feel like I have to work harder to achieve things. Like I'm putting in 120% instead of 100. 
Why I, do you feel that? I feel like I have to earn it more compared to other people because I, I don't have those qualifications behind me. And I'm very self-aware of that, that I've got this opportunity where some people have gone to school for years and got all these qualifications. So I'm always trying to self-educate myself in the background to be the best version and to show up the best way I can. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So what other career or what other jobs did you have over the years? Because I'm assuming you didn't stay at Philip Morris because I know you're not still there now. (laughs) So um, I met my husband through Philip Morris. His uncle was a big client of mine and it was pretty much love at first sight. So I would have been, yeah, in my 20s, had a friendship with Jason, got to know him over maybe six months to a year and thought, he's a beautiful man. I really want to marry this guy, which is crazy in hindsight. But I think it was love at first sight. And then you know, we started dating and then I realised that, um, you know, I had to go into state a lot with Philip Morris and I was just a young girl. I, I'd fallen in love. Um, so I left Philip Morris and started working with Jason. He was working in the Tatsoto with his uncle. Um, so we got married long to fast track. We had two beautiful kids. And in the midst of that, my husband, is um, he was a refugee from East Timor. So I think we really vibed on each other because we had, came from that not a broken place. He's got a beautiful family, but, you know, where you had to hustle to make things happen. We had two children and by the time we had our second son, Jason's uncle said, I'm going to sell the business. You, you're free to do whatever you like. And we weren't making much money. So Jason thought, I'll be an electrician because that's where I can grow and make money for the family. So that was great. But it was tough, Kim, because, um, you know, he was 27. He was getting... an hour, we had two kids and we're renting. So then I would work at night in a restaurant and he would work during the day. We literally high five each other for a couple of years. And and that was that was good. It was bloody tough when I look back, but now when I look at it, it's like, wow, we wouldn't be where we are if we didn't we, we didn't do that work. So Yeah, now I know that you also took some initiative to try and make more money mm-hmm. while you're working in the restaurant. Can you just share what that was? Because I think I just find this really amazing. Yeah, so um my boss at the restaurant, he was a lovely young guy. We got along really well and he said, Oh, I need a cleaner for my house and I thought, bang, that's extra money for me. And I said, Oh, you know, I'll clean your house. He's like, Oh, oh would would you? And I said, Yeah. So I started cleaning his house and I was getting like fantastic money. He then told his friends. So in the midst of all that, I was still working in the restaurant. Then some regular um, customers that would come in, they said, how have you been? I'm like, oh, my God, I've started this little cleaning business. It's amazing. I was working at Albert Park in the time. So then one of my regular customers, she's like, oh, Lord, I need a cleaner as well. Can you do my house? I said, yes. Then she would tell her friends because I'd always try and do the best job I can because we know referrals. Word of mouth is powerful. Um, So it was brilliant. I ended up building that business up. I think I had probably nearly 40 houses I'd do fortnightly. But I was tired. I was knackered because it's a physical job. But I was making fantastic money. I would like almost tripled our money. So then, yeah, we did that. And then in the midst of all that, Jason's mum had been sick with breast cancer. And he only met his mum when he was 17. So that's another beautiful story. On top of that, his grandma brought him out here. So he didn't want to let her down either. We were in Queen- We went up to Queensland to see if she was okay. And she pretty much said, your uncle's fish and chip shop's for sale. I want you to come up. I want you to, you know, it's a great opportunity. And without even discussing it, Jason went, okay, we'll do it. And I was like, whoa. Well, uh, buy a fish and chip shop. Yeah. 
And I'm assuming run it. <laughs> yeah. So we sold my cleaning business and we moved up to Queensland and he continued with electrical and I was in the fish and chip shop with my sister-in-law, which was really tough, like cooking fish and chips in Queensland hot heat. And it was just the oil, the, it was terrible, Kim. <laughs> I know what it's like when you walk in one, what the smell is. So I can imagine working in there would be... Yeah. Even 20 times worse, yeah. And did so, you know how to run a fish and chip shop? No, like, no, no, not at all. Not at all. Like and there'd it. be nights where the, you know, the machine, the oil filter machine would get blocked and would be there for an hour and a half trying to unblock it and I'd just want to go home to the kids and I'm like, this is crazy. So I think I came to a point in my life again where one of my girlfriends was here in Melbourne and she worked at the Commonwealth Bank and she was second in charge there and she said, what are you guys doing? Come back home. So I pretty much said to Jace, look, I love you, but I've, I've got to go back home to the kids. Like I just, I could, for my mental state wasn't great. So yeah, we, I, I moved back with the kids. My sister-in-law bought the other half of the business, which I'm very thankful for and came back and had a job interview at the Commonwealth Bank as a concierge and, and got that job. Oh, wow. And I'm assuming Jason came back with you too. He did. He did. Five weeks later, he followed back. He, he came back, got a job in Melbourne straight away. And then we... You know, I got the job at the Commonwealth Bank and then we were in a really good situation where we actually bought our first house. I think we're probably about 35 at this point. Oh, wow. So you've got a job as a concierge at the Commonwealth Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that involve? So I was a girl at the door that would greet all the customers and direct <sighs> traffic. Um, of course you were. And, and it was a glamorous job coming from the fish and chip shop where I'm in oil to dress up nicely and direct traffic and be the point first point of call in the bank. It was awesome. I loved it. And I worked with a really fantastic team in Southland and one of my girlfriends was my boss. And again, that was a, you know, a beautiful journey. I ended up working with her for seven years. And because she was my boss too, I'd always want to go over and above. I didn't want to have the sick day because I never wanted to let her down and I wanted to learn everything. So she moved on to different departments, but then quickly I, I got promoted within the bank quite quickly, which was great also. Yeah. And I can, I mean, that's one of your superpowers is connecting with other human beings. So at least you're getting to use that skill more so than I'm, I'm sure you were great in the fish and chip shop or in the <laughs> but when you're in front of people like that really is where you just come to life. Nice. So, so how did you end up in funds management? Started um, personal development probably six years ago. Why? I just I just thought I would watch different things on YouTube and I thought, you know what, Being having that positive mind and attitude can really take you to the next level. And if you're, you're focusing on certain things, it expands. So I'm like, you know what, I really want to level up. I want to go to the next level. I was always into developing myself. So, you know, started on YouTube and going down little little rabbit holes and and know that, you know, I learned quite quickly that whatever I want, I, I can actually create it. I've just got to laser beam my focus onto it. So um, I was at the bank and it got to a point where I'd wake up in the morning and I'd got moved to a team closer to my house. I wasn't waking up ready to go in the morning and I'm a pretty naturally positive person, ready to go. And we went to Bali, I think I turned 40 and I said to Jace, I'm not, I'm not loving this anymore. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I don't know. I want to stay in sales and yeah the job for watershed came up but before that I really started getting across Bob Proctor 
Um, I did a few of his course and I just started meditation, like doing the visualizations in the morning, having a clear intention. What do I want? How do I want the day to look? And I started doing that and I started seeing little green shoots of, wow, this actually really works. Almost manifested the job at Watershed because I'd been for a lot of job interviews. And again, you know, have you got a degree? Have you got this? And that I felt like was really blocking me. And I thought, I need to do some work here. I need to try and flip it. You know, I can't have this put me in a box over here because I know that if I stretch, I can create something. And yeah, had had the interview at Watershed. I didn't even really know. It just said financial services. Had a really casual conversation with my boss at the time and we just chatted. And then he said to me, you know, are you open to coming to meet the team for a drink? You don't have to drink, but would you like to meet? And I said, yeah, okay took me down to a little bar and I met the team and I said to my sister-in-law, I don't know, it felt really good. I'm not sure if I've got the job or not, but he asked me to meet the team for a drink. She's like, oh my God, you've got the job. He wouldn't be asked. He wants to see if you gel with the team. So yes, got the job, which was fantastic. Had no idea what I was doing, what I was selling. And I was selling managed accounts, which are SMAs. And, you know, four years ago, now it's really popular and we're in this sweet spot which is great. But when I started at Watershed, we didn't really have many clients. I didn't really even know. I didn't even know what an ETF was. So it was going back again. And I thought when people have belief in you, Kim, you can really feel safe to learn. And going back to being vulnerable and I felt safe to give it a crack. And I remember going home to my husband going, oh my God, I'm so out of my depth. And he said, they're giving you the space to learn. Just go for it. So I never felt stupid to ask a silly question. They actually embraced it and loved it. And, oh, man, I look back at some of the questions I was asking them and it's quite quite hilarious. But what I think they saw in me is I just had grit to do the calls. I get 10 no's, I get a yes. I had a really strong follow-up. And, yeah, I've, I just had determination. And I think over my journey that that's what I've learned. That's my superpower if you push me down, I'll get up and I'll be happier and stronger and ready to go. So yeah, now it's four years down the track. It's been great. So so for those who still don't know what an ETF or an SMA is, could you just explain it? <laughs> so essentially, um, an ETF is a basket of securities with lots of different investors. But what I'm selling is a separately managed account. So clients have their own individual holdings and they've got beneficial ownership and transparency over that. So I do Australian equities, Aussie equities, sorry, Aussie equities, international equities, and we do fixed income and we do multi-asset models as well. So now I think more than ever with all the volatility in the market, it's making sense for advisors. So our team has grown, our funds under management has grown, our advisor network has grown. But I think, like I said before, wherever you put your energy, you know, if there's if there's problems and you're focusing on that, well, that's what you're going to get. Where I've learned to flip my energy to, okay, what's the solution here? How can we fix this? And that's when my whole world's opened up. And saying, you know what, I, I don't know, but I'll find out is a superpower in itself as well. And that's what courage is, Chantel, though. It is not having the answers, not knowing what it could possibly be, but not holding back in fear of what others will think if I ask that silly question. That is so one of your superpowers. So, oh, my God, I've got a million questions for you. <laughs> Can we just go back? Because you mentioned that earlier on you didn't have a degree. Mm. And so in order to prove yourself, you have to work harder. You're going into financial services, right? Mm-hmm. 
and you just said you didn't have a degree so you weren't sure you'd get the job. Did you ever consider getting a degree? Like was that ever something that you thought you needed to do? Yeah, I, I did think about it. I thought it would just be in the too hard basket for me and I thought there's got to be another way around this. And at the bank, the bank gives you incredible training. If you are lucky enough to get in a really great team, they really support you in your growth and will send you on courses. So I'm like, you know, getting a degree is great and but it, it does cost a lot of money. And I didn't even really know, Kim, if that's my passion, to go out and spend thousands of dollars on a degree where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try and give this a go and try try my best to, to learn on the job and learn those skills. Yeah, and but that's so beautiful because I do know that that is something, especially with women, where they think, oh, to even go for that next job, oh, I just need that qualification or I need that letter after my name or I need just a couple more years' experience doing X, Y and Z, whereas that doesn't seem to have been something that's ever held you back you've gone in with a completely different attitude and approach, which is, hey, I can learn this. I can learn this. So starting a job in funds management with zero experience, feeling out of your depth, which another word is imposter syndrome. How did you do it? Like given you're also someone who tried to overprove herself, how did you do it? What were some of the things that got you through and kept you moving and to the point where this year you won BDM of the year? Like seriously, amazing. Mm, thank you, Kim. I think at the start, I felt like a fish trying to climb a tree. Ah. Like I was an awkward turtle. I remember the boys within three or four days of joining them, they sent me to to a big um, conference at the casino. And that's when I first met you and you were talking up there. And I remember going, all the BDMs were, you know, saying hi to each other and to advisors. I didn't even put my hands I was so out of my depth and I remember I went into the toilets and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was all clammy and I thought, you know, there's been so many times I'm like, what are you doing here? Who are you? You don't deserve to be here. Like, why are you pretending? And it's like, but then again, I say to myself, no, I'm here for a reason. They have hired me. You know what? I've just got to give it my best shot. And I think through my life, when I have this beautiful, I think every morning when I wake up, I'm like, today could be my last day. So when I bring it back to that, things happen to us all the time that are irritating and crazy or someone might annoy you, but then you've just got to shift it back to there's people around the country or around the world that will swap with me in a heartbeat. You know, when like, and we've spoke about this, Kim, you know, when you jump in your bed at night and you're nice and cozy and warm, there's someone out there that's homeless or there's someone out there like my mum that can't pay the rent or the kids are sleeping in the car. We've got to, I'm always real to that. So I'm always, I think when I take it back to gratitude, that's how that, yeah. So I've been given an opportunity. I need to give it my best shot. And if I can't do it, I just need to say, be vulnerable and go, you know what? I'm actually struggling here. Because then again, people love you just being honest. And they, a lot of people embrace honesty. And I would say not only honesty and vulnerability, but authenticity. That's one thing that I was really drawn to when I first met you. It's like, this woman's just so real. Like, you know, there was none of the, the fancy words. I mean, yes, very fancy. You, you are very fancy. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There was none of that, that you've got to speak a certain way or you've got to be a certain way. Like, you were just so oozing you. Mm. And it is absolutely glorious and definitely, again, one of your superpowers. Mm. So you are still married to the same guy that you had that crush on when you first met him back yes. at Bella Morris. 
How, talk to me about that because you mentioned that your mum's been married four times, your dad's been married three times. So I guess, you know, the role models of a stable, mm. committed, intimate relationship were not there. How have you managed to actually create that and still be married? And I know you're happily married, but yeah. how have you managed to create that? Yeah, look, it it, it was tough because um, Jason's got a really big family, um, traditional Timorese, gorgeous people. But I remember when we said we were going to get married, his uncle actually said, oh, look, I'm nervous. Your mum's been married four times. You better not do anything wrong by my nephew. And that that deeply hurt me because I thought, you know, how, how can you judge me from, and, and people do, Kim, I've had that most of my life. You know, there was times where I, I would never tell anybody I lived in Frankston and I'm from Housing Commission because people would be like, oh, you're a bit of a scumbag. You know, there was a lot of that mentality and maybe that was coming internally from me because I hadn't done the work to go, well, you know what, I wouldn't change it now. If I had to go back and say, hey, do you want to change anything here? I don't think I would because teaching our kids, I suppose the journey that we've gone on um, has been a real gift. I've got a 19, and a 17 and a nine-year-old and they've seen us do the hard work and now, you know, we've bought this beautiful property, we're on six acres and I can say I feel like I'm in my dream house. Jason and I are definitely on the same page. He's he's a go-getter like me. He's, his cup is always half full. And we every day tip into each other's cup. And and I can actually say we're, we're good mates. So I've been really lucky that we've been able to build this beautiful relationship. And there's times where he calls me out and I love that. But then I, I love it that I'm... I'm brave enough and strong enough to be able to swallow that. Give me an example where he's called you out. Oh, many times. So, you know, there'll, there'll be days where, you know, you have a hard day or if you're snappy or if you're, and it'd be like, you know what, is everything okay? Saying to each other too, and I think Brene Brown says that really well, and we've been doing this for a while, is, you know, you have a day where it's a bit mental and you can actually come home and say, I'm not feeling it today. Or I've, I've had an awesome day and your partner hasn't, don't worry, I've got your back. Or don't worry, I'll pick up the kids. Or don't worry, I'll cook dinner. Or, you know, he cooks dinner and and he's a fabulous cook and and he's always cooked, I've always cleaned. (laughs) I've never had to work full-time then come home and do the dinner and the kids and where some of my girlfriends have had to do that. So I feel like we've got mutual respect. And he'll say, you know what, That, that wasn't cool. Or, you know, have you thought about looking at from this perspective? And and I can say that to him too, and he can take it on board. Where with some couples, if you if you call out each, but you've got to call out the good stuff too, and say, "Oh, I love it when you do that." But you can call out the bad stuff without having any, "Oh, well, you know," and the ego coming in and you wanting to win all the time. And it does take. I mean, you've got to work at a relationship full stop anyway. But having a relationship where you can do that and feel safe to not only give but to receive that kind of input so important so how do you go getting feedback whether it's I mean obviously Jason that's on a personal front how do you go getting feedback in general from other people I I want feedback feedback helps me grow to level up to the next level feedback is a great thing I know what I'm good at without sounding arrogant I know where my gaps are as well so I really want to close those and every day we're learning and it's a it's a beautiful path and every day I meditate and every day I journal and you know, having a clear intention every day of where I'm going has been 
being able to help me. So yeah, feedback for me is that's how we grow. And sometimes we have blind spots that we don't see. You know, I think probably one of the biggest problems I have is I'm too hard on myself. I'll sit there and pick out all the things that I need to be better at where I'm trying to celebrate all the good stuff and and, and give myself that active self-care of, you know what, you actually did a good job, go you. <laughs> yeah, go you because, that yeah, it doesn't happen enough. What scares you? I mean, yes, there's things that have are there and you've been able to get past them, but what what's big and scary for you? Uh, public speaking is, is a massive, yeah, massive fear factor for me and, and I'm working through it and I don't know what it is, but it's almost like, again, I think it probably comes back to, I didn't finish school. I'm not good enough or who wants to listen, you know, have I got anything good to say or is it going to come out wrong or, so there's been a couple of moments where I have spoken and my voice shakes and you know that you have that out of body experience when you, you know, your heart races and. So getting, getting control of that, and I know I will, it's going to take time. And it, and it comes back to happiness is an inside job, Kim. We always talk about this. And I will always be my only problem and I'm always going to be my only solution. So I can sit here and, and speak about the fear of public speaking or I can go, you know what, I just, I just need to do it. And it's funny, I have been doing it lately. And when I look back at myself, I'm like, oh, I was wiggling too much. I touched this and I said, the, you know, picking it out where I've got to flip it and go, oh, my God, two years ago, I couldn't even stand up there. I would have been full of excuses. I think we've spoken about this, Kim. We're all beginners. And I think Robin Sharma says it good, you know, it's hard at the start, it's messy in the middle and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous at the end. And when you just step out of that, you're like, yeah, we've, we've got, actually got nothing to lose as humans. We've just... We don't know when the day's up, so I, I don't want to look back and go, oh, I should have done that, should have done this and have regrets. Yeah, but I love that you can go for jobs where you don't have the qualifications or the skills and and basically say to the guy, I, I can't understand you four or five times and yet public speaking is your thing that kind of, you, you know, when I ask what scares you, scares you. And it's so true. You know, we're all beginners somewhere and one of the things that, I do often is I say to people, you've got to get used to hearing your own voice and seeing yourself on like either on a camera or on a stage. And there's no pill that you can take that's going to give you that same confidence as opposed to actually doing it. And, but is it scary? Yeah, completely scary. But God, after everything you've done, one of the things that I love most about you is that you just go in and give it a go without having to have all the boxes ticked first, which a lot of women particularly don't do. They want to get most of the boxes ticked before they go for it. So what do you think has contributed to you being able to do that in your later life? I think once you make a decision, almost the universe opens up for you. And I'm getting all spiritual now. But I find that once you go, you know what, I'm actually going to do this, then tomorrow or next week, I'm going to meet someone that goes, oh, I know someone that's looking for this, has got that. And then doors open up. That That's what I believe to be true. When I haven't made a solid decision, you know, but when I go, you know what, I'm going to go for it and everything's going to work out. It always does and it always will. And it does. And I don't know what, what it is, but it's almost like magic. And look, there's, there's hiccups and you get things thrown at you. It's a road like we um, opened up a restaurant this year, which is super exciting. 
And I, Kim, I had so many roadblocks from the council, from FPOS machines, from so many things that have blocked me. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be another way around this. There has to be. There's another way. I've just got to go around this way. I've got to go this way. I've got to go over this speed hump. And again, I've never had my own business before. We've never had a restaurant. And yeah, within six weeks, we managed to open this incredible restaurant in our small country town. And, and my husband's never been a chef. <laughs> but he likes cooking. He loves cooking. And I always had that belief, you need to do something. This is crazy. And he was going to do a food truck. And for a year and a half, we got blocked by the council. And again, I'm like, you know what? This just my intuition was like, we've got to make this happen. And drove through town. By chance, a lady was selling her shop because we made the decision. You know what? We're going for it. It's going to happen. There'll be something that pops up. And it literally did. And it's funny. So now when I get a challenge, I'm like, I almost have a laugh to myself and go, okay, which way? How is this all going to come together? Because it is. It might take longer, but it is. But I just have to, it's almost having a belief that things just work out. You've got the most beautiful self-belief that a lot of people don't have. And again, to highlight from where you've come from. And I, I say that not for pity, but for how you have turned things around. What else do you do that really fuels that self-belief? I just, I do the internal work because I feel like, a lot of us are looking for answers outside of us. And it's it's not easy and it's it's a daily routine. It's like brushing my teeth. So it's, you know, it's actually, we've spoken about this, Kim, high-fiving yourself in the mirror. As people might go, what, you high-five yourself? But when you actually can stare at yourself in the eyeballs in the mirror and go, I actually love you, I'm proud of you, it just takes it to another level. Because, yeah, sometimes, like you said, the self-sabotage, the imposter syndrome, when I, you know, when I'm skinny enough, when I'm pretty enough, when I have this amount of money, when I do this, that's when I'll go and do it. When the kids grow up, and it's like I don't want to have, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to, you know what? And I'm going to make mistakes. And it's sometimes I'm sometimes I'm so uncomfortable. Like there'd be times when I was at Watershed and I'd go into boardrooms with a whole bunch of men, and and they'd be darting questions at me. I wouldn't even know. And my boss. I would take him to appointments like that because I knew I was out of my debts. He was such an incredible man and he'd take over and I learned so much from him. But I just always think, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And I think, again, when when people realise that you don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to help, I want to learn, I want to follow up, I want to give you the best service and have that passion, I think people can tap into that and it's it's almost like a vibe. Oh, yes, and you've got an amazing vibe. Being around you is amazing. But to even hear the fact that you're sitting in this boardroom with all these men firing all these questions at you, you can feel yourself clamming up, and instead of being scared by it and not wanting to do it again, just knowing like in the earlier days having your boss there who's got your back, it's like there's people that have seen potential in you well before you caught up and saw it but you've gone with it and you've allowed what they saw to come through and come true that is absolutely golden Chantel and I don't reckon there's anything people could throw at you that you wouldn't go oh man I don't know how to do it but I'm going to find out I'm going to find out that hustle and that drive of yours is absolutely glorious so as a parent 
How does some of this goodness of yours translate into how you raise your kids? Oh, it's it's incredible. The relationship I have with the kids is pretty magical and sometimes it's hard because they're so self-aware because <laughs> they see me doing the work and sometimes they can't relate to, to people and they'll be like, wow, mom, you know, this mindset or whoa. So it's almost like they're learning the stuff I know now and they're, they're teenagers. And I say to them, oh, wow, you've got all these superpowers and tools I've given you. If someone gave me them when I was your age, wow, imagine where I'd be in quantum leaps. So they're really self-aware. They're, they're full of gratitude because they've seen us do the hard yards. And it's funny because Isaiah, my oldest son, he's like, mom, I'm so grateful where we live. It's unbelievable what you've created, you and dad. So they are, I've never tried to be, because my mum was so authoritarian. Hmm. I've tried to let them grow and be themselves. And I haven't had any knock on wood, any teenage trouble with them. They're very respectful and, and it's been great. I'm, I'm glad I had them when I was younger because, yeah, it's funny now I've got this, you know, two big giant boys and, and we get to enjoy the holidays and, and do all the fun stuff together. But they are incredibly self-aware and I think they, they do the work. They even like meditate. You know, there'll be days where one of them is getting off track and be like, Mom, I need to talk to you. I'm going through this. I need you to help me unpack it. And like my son did it the other night and it was good to be able to go, okay, this is what it is. You need to look at it from this perspective. And you just said, mum, I just, I just need to talk to you right now. So you know, there's been times like that. And I feel so happy that I've got these two incredible teenage boys that feel safe to come to me because, it, you know, there's a real, real big movement. I feel sorry for our younger generation, Kim, because of the technology, of the filters, of the trying to be perfect and, you know, they're living in a world we didn't live in. If, you know, if we went to a party and got drunk and vomited, no one was recording it, as, as terrible as that sounds. So they've got a lot of pressure, these kids. The mental health issue, a lot of kids are, you know, through COVID. And so I feel so grateful that I've got these two incredible boys that will come to me and go, Mum, I'm having a shit day. I'm struggling. This is what's happened. And I can go, okay, well, let's, you know, and having them be vulnerable with me and give me a hug and and sometimes have a little cry. I think that I feel like I've done my job. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. can I say I don't know any other parent that would say, I feel like my teenagers are too self-aware. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even to the point my middle guy, he studies so much and wants to be in the top ten all the time and I'll say, relax, don't worry, come out, let's do this. He's like, mum. I've got to do this. And I'm like, okay. And it's just so funny, Kim. Yeah, they just, they do the work. And I think, yeah, if you do the work, you're going to get, you're going to get rewarded handsomely for it. Yeah. And it's interesting because doing the work is one thing, knowing what the work is that you need to do is another, but that comes through self-awareness, which of course you've been able to instill in them from a very young age. And I'm assuming that they know where you've come from. They know your background. Mm -hmm. They know your husband's background. Mm -hmm. So they get to really understand the context of what you've grown up in. So if you could go back to your little girl, uh -huh. your seven-year-old Chantel, what would you tell her? I had so I had so much fear and, and so much I wasn't good enough. I would actually pick her up and hold her like this and I would look into her eyes and say, you know what, I love you and it's all going to be okay because... Yeah, I think coming from my background and the chaos and the moving around and always hustling, it was tough. And I wouldn't dare ask my mum for a toy or 
I never got new clothes and, and it's not like boo-hoo, poor me, but I would look at those kids and go, oh, shit, I wish I had those new clothes or I wish I got that toy or I never wanted to put pressure on my mum so I just swallowed everything. I would never dare ask, you know, I was that type of kid would go go to a birthday. I'd, I'd say I'll have the smallest piece of cake. I was always the one that would stand back and let everyone else go before me. And I, that was, you know, probably a good thing because but now I'm like, well, no, I am deserving of that. And not that I've gone to the other way where I want everything, but I'm like, I, I can actually have everything. If I want something, I need, I'm the only one that can go for it. I can't sit back and wait for someone to help me because no one's going to help me. No. And do you see your own potential now? I do, but like it's a work in progress, yeah. I do the work every morning. I journal. I meditate. And I always think, too, the only way we can change as humans, well, from my perspective, Kim, is from repetition or emotional impact. So when something really terrible happens and absolutely rocks your world and you think, shit, I've got to, I've got to do something here, or just getting into a habit. And we know it's hard to, to let go of bad habits and it's hard to create good habits, but it, it's 1% a day. So I always think, I just do this little bit of work each day over a year Where's that going to take me? And, and and Bob Proctor says, you know, sometimes you need a pair of binoculars to look back from where you came from, you know. And I remember cleaning for those ladies in Albert Park and South Yow with these gorgeous houses and beautiful cars and swanning in and out. And I used to think, oh, I'd love to be, oh, my God, I would love to do that. And it's not that, you know, and now I feel like I can go to the shops and buy whatever I want. We can go for dinner and, and I'm living that. But it's funny, you can other, you can flip it and go, poor me I don't have that that person got the opportunity I've come from this it's been hard for me and it's funny because when you're self-aware within a couple of minutes you can switch on someone's vibe straight away oh completely and I've learned who to turn the volume down to Mm. and who to turn the volume up to because everyone has a right to their own perspective and opinions I can't make someone think the way I think but I can choose if I'm going to let something in. And that is a level of personal development that takes time to get to, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That is not something that just comes overnight. And if you haven't had that around you even growing up, then you've had to learn it and embrace it. And I'm assuming you do exactly the same thing with your kids too. One of the biggest points that changed me in my life was I I started when I was dating Jason and he did something to annoy me. And um, I rang my girlfriend and said, come and get me. I've had it. I'm leaving. Because it was a behaviour from my mum. So when stuff would go wrong, just run away. You know what? Not dealing with this. She'd hang up or she'd just shut down. And I did that. And he, I remember he rang me and he said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, I'm going to my friend's house. He goes, why? And I said, oh, I'm annoyed at this. He goes, I'm telling you now, if you want to be my girlfriend, you can't do this. He goes, best you come back now or it's over. And I think that was that emotional impact when I went, shit. And I'm so glad he did that because that was a behaviour of playing the game, da-da-da, running away, getting, you know, and he really shocked that out of me and I thought, oh, my God, I, I actually can't behave like this with this with this boy. He's not going to put up with it. So now I laugh and I go, oh, my God, imagine if you didn't do that, then we would have been back and forth and our relationship wouldn't have been as good. But because he holds held really strong with me and was firm, thought, shit, I've, I, I can't behave like this. So that was a blessing in itself. And it's no surprise, therefore, that you've attracted a guy like that because you were even saying that when you're 18 and you moved back in with your mum, mm. you had a better relationship because there were boundaries now. Yes. There were certain things and it's like you created that environment with the boundaries with him, even early mm. on, intentional or not. 
yeah. that have allowed the relationship to then grow and feel safe and supported the whole way through. So yeah. speaking of which, what's your relationship and is there a relationship with your siblings? Um, there is. One One of my sisters, she's had a really, really hard time and she's almost had a pretty wild teenager and 20s and 30s and really hit rock bottom and that was the only thing that was going to stop her so I'm sort of glad and it was hard and really painful but now she's on the road to recovery but she's super fragile and this was a girl that was just a wild party animal and and didn't wasn't scared of anything and it sort of all came crashing down my brother I was always really close to him he he um, unfortunately went down the path of ice and Jason and I tried to save him, sent him to rehab. And and unfortunately, it gets to a point where you go, you know what, this is actually hurting me more than him. So we had to, again, put boundaries. So I, I haven't spoken to him. And, and I do feel sad about it, but I'm like, I just don't have the mental capacity to be able to. And that was my thing. I would try and save people. And then when you start realising and do this work, I can't save anyone. They need to save themselves. It's an inside job. Because even if you if, if you have someone that's a drug addict and you give them everything, they're still going to go and, and be crazy and wild. So it doesn't matter how much money you give them. So, yeah, and, and one of my other sisters too, I don't really speak to her and it's just, it, it's sad. And look, if they rang me tomorrow, I'm always there for them and I love them. It's a hard situation. And coming from Jason where he's got, there's five of them and they're all really close and beautiful family. Um, and again, they all migrated from... Timor they all lived together they all had that hardship but very very happy grateful people so you know I speak to my mum and dad and it's funny because you can't change people's behavior unless they want to be and for many years I would try and I'd turn blue and try and make my mum look at things from a different perspective and I was again I was sucking my own energy and then when I learned to love her and embrace her you know she didn't have the best best upbringing she did the best to her ability there's no manual and unfortunately people get in a paradigm where they're like, this is this is it. And unless you do the work, that is their normal. So, yeah, I've learned to love her and embrace her and, and sometimes turn the volume down. <laughs> but that's so true. You've got to choose yeah. whose volume you turn up and whose volume you turn down. Yeah. You've got to protect yourself. And so, I mean, so great because, yes, it's almost like a sliding doors moment. Like you could have had and gone down a very, very different path to the path that you went down. And there were probably a couple of moments, I mean, you've alluded to one or two here, I'm sure there were more where it literally was sliding doors and it could have been that one or that one and you've chosen the one you do. And it's no surprise. So, Chantelle, you made the comment that if you knew now what you back then when you were younger kind of like your kids you know what they're equipped with at their age when they're still only teenagers versus what you know now in your 40s but if you had been younger and had this knowledge you would have made quantum leaps how differently would you have projected your life out and what do you think it would have looked like if you had have known then what you know now mm, that's a really great question i don't think i would have been in the corporate world to be honest, I think I would love to build out a retreat or a, a community of, um, you know, really helping people tap into their greatness. Because I feel like now I look back, you know, a lot of people are tiptoeing to the end. A lot of people are just settling for what they've got. And being able to share with people that have got this internal greatness inside and everyone is has a purpose. 
And a lot of people will go through their life and not really know what their purpose is. But being able to help people find that purpose and achieve that burning desire, I think is dynamite. So yeah, I would I would have loved to have to create something along those lines. How would that look? I'm not sure whether it's going out there and, and spreading that message. But um, I find personal development really exciting because it feels like there's a blank canvas and we can just we can go in any direction we want. But it's then it's just tapping into the tools and they really should be teaching this in school. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And tapping into human potential. I mean, this is one of your superpowers that over the years as people have sort of noticed and recognised your potential and you've then embraced it and you've just gone for it. You didn't need a degree to go for it. You didn't need a degree to end up where you are, but you had to be able to trust who you were at the core, at that real soul level, and you've done that beautifully. So what would be your purpose or or would that be your purpose? Yeah, and I, I still think today that that still is my purpose. How it looks and how I'm going to unpack that, I'm, I'm not sure. But that's never I'm, stopped you before. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I think the first things first is I really need to focus on this this public speaking and whether that's committing to, you know, recording myself every day and, like you said, Kim, listening and watching because that's, you know, it's like driving a car, manual car, you're putting in a first, second, third gear and you're looking in the rear-vision mirror and it's messy, right? And it's overwhelming. So I feel like even watching myself is like, oh, wow. Getting comfortable to watch myself. Because I I do feel like I've got a lot of goodness and a lot of things I want to share to be able to wake people up and show people that, you know, we need to be striving. And I feel like the majority of people are are just surviving Mm. every day. They're on the grind. You know, if you jump on the tram in Melbourne, you can feel people's energy. You can see the angst. And one thing I don't do, Kim, is I don't watch the news. I know that sounds terrible, especially in my job that I do. I read content that I want to. I do not watch the news. I'm with you. I haven't watched the news for quite a long time and I love the blissful ignorance of not having that drama thrown in your head every day. It's so lovely, isn't it? Yeah. So if I had to ask what would be your courageous next step, would that be to get more comfortable watching yourself, listening to yourself so that you can Get up there and not only speak, but get the volume of the message that you want out to more people. What would that be? Probably last week I was thinking about us being together and having this great conversation and, yeah, and thinking about how's next year going to look like for me? How are we going to set it up? Because I look at what Jason and I have achieved this year is like, wow. And just to know, you know what, next year I'm going to take it up another notch because I know we can. So, yeah, I think I I am going to post every day just to myself, just to get comfortable. And then I'll do it in the morning and I'll watch it at night as part of my morning and nightly routine. Because the more I do it, the more I'm going to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And like we said, that's when the magic is. When you are uncomfortable, as tough and as hard as it is, when you get on the other side of that, you know, everyone says that I've, you've done a few podcasts and when when they, when they people say, when you get through that fear, that's when the magic happens. Um there's this really great metaphor about, you know, the bulls and the cows. And, you know, when a storm comes rolling and raging over the hills, the bulls just run towards that storm and they get through the other side where the cows run away from the storm and the storm is actually chasing them. And I always try and think of that in life. Like sometimes we've just got to jump all in to get to the other side and we don't want to and it's hard 
But when you do and then you come up, you're like, wow, that was good. I'm glad I did that. Oh, what a beautiful metaphor. And you are an inspiration, Chantel, from not only from, you know, the very, very humble beginnings you've had, but you're constantly doing the work, showing up as your best self, encouraging others like you are just like this positive beam of incredible, wonderful, delicious light. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I mean, we've only touched the surface. There's so many little rabbit warrens that we could go through and explore, but thank you for sharing. And I look forward to seeing you on more of a public platform, to watching you on stages, watching you post videos and podcasts, whatever that might look like for you, because your goodness changes lives. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. And thank you for your beautiful podcast. Like I I'm sure like I'll be sitting in the car listening and like, oh, you know, there's so many gold nuggets that, that I learned from you getting these incredible speakers on and, and for you showing up the way you do every single day. Um, you're a big, massive light in my life and, and, and I look to you as a mentor. So thank you for being amazing. Very kind. Thank you. Thanks a million for joining me on this episode of Courageous Me. I hope it ignited a spark or two within you. To keep the inspiration flowing, hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for more episodes. We've got loads of amazing stories of courage, passion and practical tips coming your way. For all the show notes, resources and ways that we can connect, head to courageousme.com.au. And your feedback is incredibly valuable. So if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to leave a review and a rating. It'll help me spread more of this love and reach more wonderful people just like you. Until we meet again, my friend, always remember, you've got this.